Hello, this is Ricky Jones from River Oaks Presbyterian Church. For the last several years, we have been running series, different series at the church, when I would take questions at the end of the worship service and try my best to answer those. Those series have been so well received, we thought it might be fun if we took those questions and formed a whole podcast around them. So Jonathan Dorse, my associate pastor, and I are going to start recording a podcast on Monday mornings. We're going to call it From Sunday to Monday, trying to bridge the gap from Sunday morning until Monday, from the time when the sermon is theological to the time when it becomes practical. I hope this is helpful for you. Hello, this is Ricky Jones. This is Jonathan Dorst. And this is uh, our first podcast. We're starting something new. We're going to call it From Sunday to Monday, and it's really just going to be kind of a relaxed discussion about life and about the sermons from yesterday, and we're going to center it around questions that you ask, questions we get from our congregation or from people who listen to our sermons online. What do you think, Jonathan? Are you excited about this? I'm excited about this. Why? We've been working together for about a year and a half, and one thing I've learned about you is you are great on the spot. People <laughs> asking questions and giving giving really solid answers with little time to think about it, which is a quality that I admire because I'm not so good at that. So I'll be asking the questions, <laughs> and you can answer them. So what you're saying is the less time I have to think about something, the better. More or less. That's fair. But this is going to be fun, and I hope it's really helpful and useful for you all out there in listener land. Great. Yeah, so today is uh, January 18th. It's uh, Martin Luther King Day. Do you do anything for Martin Luther King Day? I don't. No, I should. I know I should. No <laughs> traditions. Yeah. I, I should work less. I really do. I mean, I feel strongly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want my kids to feel strongly about it, but I've never been able to kind of generate a tradition around it, watch a movie or, yeah. or something. I mean, just something. He's for sure the civil rights leader that I identify the most with and probably know the most about. Oh, you probably didn't know this, but one of the uh, the greatest honors of, that I've ever received when I was at Mississippi State as a campus minister, the uh, I was there my last year when Rosa Parks died, hmm. and the Black Student Alliance asked me to come and speak at a memorial for her, and I, I really took that as a just a gigantic honor, uh, very seriously, and and I was just kind of meditating and thinking about the importance of the civil rights movement for us as white people in the South, you know, I mean, the the importance for for the African-American is obvious, I think, but I think it's less obvious how much we owe them. And Mm -hmm. I really kind of, I came away saying that Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and Medgar Evers were prophets in the sense that, you know, a prophet's job was to go to the king and go to the culture and tell them they were committing sins that they weren't even aware they were committing. And I, I look at my family, and, and there's there's a lot of racism in my past, my family's past, my heritage. And I'm very thankful that I, wo- I, I was born in a, in a time when we were awake to that. Mm-hmm. I think in my family's case, at least, they were just never awake to it. They never realized the evils of it. And so... Uh, I think it's important. I, I know 
I know a lot of white people. That's not surprising, but we don't really know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with with Martin Luther King, and and I think I think the the importance that he the importance he provides for us is that he really protected us from living life in a sin that we would have even, not even known we were committing. So I'm very thankful for him. So maybe I'll watch Selma tonight with my kids, and I, that seems like a pathetic way to, but it's something, you know. It's a great movie. It was so balanced. Really? It wasn't just a one-man hero movie. Mm-hmm. It was. A, it showed a lot of different voices, both black and white. It was that were part of the Great. movement, and and it was it's, it only took place over a couple of weeks, huh? So it really sort of centered in on the march. Well, definitely. Jonathan is a movie expert. I'll try to get his opinion about a movie every every podcast. So this will be that'll be our first one. This is our first movie review. So you heard it here first. Selma, one of the best movies of 2014, two years late. So there you go. Absolutely. All right. Well, what questions do you have for me? Well, our sermon series is called Eros Defiled, Sex, Shame, and the Savior. Why don't you talk a little bit about where you came up with that title and what what you're wanting to do with this series. Yeah. Why, why, why now? Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, the title is from a book by John White that when I was in college, it was really the standard, I think, as far as giving book to give Christians who are struggling with sexual immorality and, and those issues, called Eros Defiled. And then he later wrote a book called Eros Redeemed. Uh, both are, are books that I recommend. Um, and the reason why I wanted to, and I just thought that was a great title, you know, and, on, and there's not a whole lot of depth beyond that other than it was really impactful for me. I read it in that age when I was reading a lot of books still, and uh, and I my my brain was fresh enough to remember the stuff that I was reading, and so it, it impacted me deeply. The second thing, you know, as far as why I'm doing this series now is, I feel like the only place you can go in American culture and not hear about sex is the church, and that's that's broken, that's wrong. The Lord has a lot to say about sex. He's not embarrassed by it. He created it uh, very intentionally. You know, I think I think that the sex act itself is a beautiful picture of the relationship that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have always had eternally. The two are one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three are one. You know, they're not divisible, really. They're always mutually indwelling the other. Uh, you know, I feel like I have to be. We're in such a, I don't know, such a uh, perverted culture i feel like i have to bother to say of course i'm not i'm not saying the father and son have been having sex eternally i'm sorry that i feel like i even have to say that but i do uh but i there is that that beautiful oneness and i feel like in a proper relationship when a man and woman are having sex they get to almost experience that eternality i think that's what makes it such an idol in our culture why it's so worship i mean there's no other way to describe it every movie, every song, every billboard seems to be a different take on sexuality in one way or another. And so I want to talk about it. I want to talk about what it should be. I want to talk about how it's dangerous when it's outside of its proper context. And so that's why I want to preach on it now. And I think so far so good. Well, we had a question and answer time at church last Sunday. And uh, we We've gotten a bunch of other questions, so some of these questions you've you've already attempted to answer at 
in worship, but some of them will be fresh. Yeah. You begin for the first time. So and we did not record those questions and answers, so yeah. there's a chance for people on the podcast to hear the answers. Here we go. First question. How do we reverse the specific and overt stigmatization of girls and women in the church where things like sexuality, modesty, and self-expression are concerned? Yeah. I think there's, that's a difficult question. What's at the heart of that question, I think, is that we tend to, we have tended, we being the church, have tended to make women feel guilty about how they dress in a way that makes them ashamed of their bodies and make them the, vil, the villain. And we don't put a proper amount of responsibility on the males that you are responsible for, for your imagination, you're responsible for your lusts, and um, and I do think that's a problem, a real problem. I think we do need to teach modesty, and we need to teach uh, self-denial and restraint when it comes to imagination. And we de- we just got to, I don't know, there's a lot to it. Like, for, once, for, instance, for instance, you can't put the blame on the women completely because you just can't take laws far enough. In, in Afghanistan, for example, where they've gone so far to try to keep their men from lusting, and they put all the responsibility on the women. You know, they have to hood their bodies and hood their faces. And they can, in, in some situations, they can only see out of, you know, the eye the eye holes in the burqa. And then I heard when Al Qaeda was in charge or ruled in Afghanistan, they actually went so far as to as to outlaw high heel shoes yeah. under their their burqas because the sound they made was too sexy. I mean, at some point, you know, it's almost ridiculous. I've experienced something like that, you know, before where I was in a dentist chair and the dentist was wearing full gown and a mask and glasses and a hood. But out of those clear glasses were just the prettiest blue eyes I'd ever seen. (laughs) At some point you got to say, okay, maybe the responsibility is mine. So I do think we have to teach men that the responsibility for what they lust after and how they think and specifically how they think about women is up to them. And and we need to encourage them to see women as, as humans uh, images of God who are beautiful and, and deserve love and, and should not be objectified and reduced just to body parts. On the other hand, I want to teach girls that they are beautiful. And I, I really feel like we're in a dangerous, dangerous place in our culture where women now for 40 years have grown up in uh, a culture of free divorce. And so, so many of our girls have grown up without fathers and the only way they've been able to get male attention that was in any way positive was through provocative, by being provocative. That's just terribly sad. And I think women are very, very tempted to misinterpret that positive response as a loving response. And they are reducing themselves uh, to uh body parts, not knowing that they're doing it. I don't yeah. think most girls who are dressing provocatively even know why uh, they're getting the positive responses they're getting. They just know that there's this need for male affirmation. I wish we could go back and heal that. I wish these girls had fathers when they were young in life. They didn't. And so, you know, we have to teach girls that they're valuable not because they dress in a way or look in a, a way that makes men turn their heads. These girls need to believe they're valuable because the Lord of the universe loves them. And, you know, I, wanna, I think we should do whatever we can to make that matter to them. 
So you have two daughters. What do you think? I think you touched on something really important, which is to not short sell God's ability mm. to work in men mm -hmm. with self-control. I think sometimes we sort of have an attitude of, well, women are inherently more virtuous. <laughs> yeah. Certainly when it comes to sex and men just have so much trouble controlling themselves. And yet Jesus was a man. Mm. And when Jesus looked at a woman, he saw a sister and a mother and he saw beauty, but in a pure way. And the Holy Spirit has the ability to do that for men as well. Yeah. So we, yeah, we sh certainly shouldn't put it all on women, but we have to teach women how men, men do think mm -hmm. that there is reality to that. I agree. Okay, the second question is is following up on what we just said. How how would you encourage parents to teach their children about sex without simply emphasizing the dangers of misusing it? Man, there's a lot to that. I think, you know, whenever you, you talk about parenting, you have the the twin pillars of, of modeling and of teaching and and modeling is really is um, so so formational for your children, and your children need to see a wide range of relationship between the husband and the wife. They need to see affection. They need to see romance. They need to see uh, conflict. They need to see argument. They need to see all of this stuff so that they can understand that a relationship is complex. And that an argument doesn't mean we're going to have a divorce. And that affection doesn't have to mean sex all the time. And everything in between. Um, I think parents do a good job of teaching about other things. You know, they do a good job of teaching that uh, driving is fun, but you're not ready to drive until you're old enough to be responsible. I think they do a good job of teaching about moderation in food and in alcohol. And we should really treat sex the same way, that it's wonderful when it's used the way God has created it. It's, it's dangerous. It's not dirty. It's not bad. It's just dangerous. It's dangerous because it's wonderful. Just like uh, a car is dangerous because it's powerful. Just like alcohol is dangerous because it's powerful. Sex is dangerous because it's powerful. And it's, it's always dangerous uh, when you're using it outside of the only safe context, uh, which is a a covenant relationship where someone has promised to love you for the rest of your life. That's what we've tried to do uh, with our kids. Um, mm -hmm. How about you? Uh, you know, I've got four daughters. John, I'm sorry. I have four <laughs> sons. I have four sons. Jonathan has two daughters. So and neither one of us have experience with both, but between the two of us, we do. So how do you go about it with your girls? And none of them are married off yet. Yeah. <laughs> so we're getting close to that age. We're going to be dating. I think you said it well that... They need to see a couple, their parents, in love and, and know that their parents have sex. Not when or how, but yeah. uh, that <laughs> it's a reality of a healthy yeah. marriage. And it's it's not dirty. It is beautiful. Um, Rachel still remembers, as a kid, seeing her dad swat her mom on the bottom. And, <laughs> and she you know, was outraged, but also greatly comforted <laughs> and it's a great sweet memory she has from growing up 
You know, I think you do have to take opportunities sometimes just to be corrective, too. I, uh, there have been movies as our kids have got, gotten older. It's been funny, you know, when they were right at that PG-13 kind of age. And there were movies they wanted to watch, and that would be entertaining and charming. But you knew they taught just unrealistic, unhealthy right. sexuality. And I remember one time, I can't remember the name of the movie, but I remember one time looking at my boys saying, I will let you watch this movie if you will let me talk to you for 10 minutes about sex. And they all, all four of them in unison just said, no, it's not worth that. And they went upstairs and Bianca and I watched the movie uh, alone. So, and I'm not an expert on parenting. So when my kids are 40, we'll see how I did. But uh, I get 20 more years of holding out. That may be one advantage I have over you is that my daughters love to talk about things, (laughs) particularly with my wife, uh, but with me as well. And so it's just a regular practice when we watch movies together, TV shows, that we we talk about them. We talk about... Yeah, our, the Jones boys do not talk. We, <laughs> we usually, we barely make it to the end of a movie itself, plus, much less talk after it's over. So. <laughs> That's right. All right, we got uh, a minute and a half. You got one more question for me? Uh, how should I deal with a child that is saved of God yet believes sex outside of marriage is okay? Oh, Jonathan, why don't you ask me that with one minute left? That's very hard. I think you have to talk to that child about what authority means, what God's authority means. Uh, one of the things I tell, say a lot from the pulpit and in our new members class is, if there's nothing that you're not doing or refraining from doing just because God says so, then you're not really, you're, you're not really worshiping God as God. You're just kind of making him in your own image. And so there's a lot of there are a lot of things for me as a pastor, as a father, and as a human that I don't like about God's rules. I, and sometimes I don't even understand them, but I submit to them. And I, I think it's important that we teach our children that God is good, and we know that God is good because He's loved us so much that He's gave us His only Son, and that we teach our children that God is wise. He's unerring. He's created the world in such a way that it's survived these uh, uh, thousands of years and will continue to survive for uh, who long? Who knows how long. And therefore, since God is good and wise, He can be trusted. And we need to teach our children to trust Him more than they trust their own wisdom and more than they trust the latest cultural fad. So, Well, that was my timer, so that's all the time we have for today. I hope we did a major drive to work worthwhile. And we will uh, we'll have a new podcast for you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks.